Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at What's up, you guys? Sean Ross here for the Fightful.com podcast. I do believe this drops December 6th. We have Shane Helms. Shane, by the time this drops, really just in a couple hours, you will be en route to the TNA tapings. Yeah, that's right. I'm uh, heading down for a nine. It'll be a lot warmer in Orlando than it is here in North Carolina. That's for sure. Are you going to send me a bunch of scoops? Or are you going to be like, Dixie beat the shit out of John Gaborik backstage? Oh, man, I would, I would love to see something like that. I'll be a world star, man. I'll put that shit up right away. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, I saw you You had some choice words for one Ariel Hawani. Why do you hate Ariel so much? Sucks, man. I like him when he broke that Brock Lesnar shit. Like he fucked really? that whole Why? live crowd. Live crowd, you know, I mean, they were holding it for that live crowd so the people that paid tickets could get that big pop. And it was I get the feeling we're he, I get the feeling we'll have differing me. opinions on that. But I mean yeah, that's I mean, Yeah. And two, like he's supposed to be this journalist and uh half the time he was under getting paid by UFC. So he loses credibility yeah. there. I don't agree with that at all. He's I I well I agree with you there. Uh, I don't agree with him doing that. Um, that's that's a rough one. That is a rough one. I think he's an outstanding journalist, but, man, that, that UFC thing, the fact that he was getting paid by them, that was rough, and I know that that wasn't something he was comfortable with, but we, we'll save that for a complete show in the future because I think, like, journalist versus performer is a very good topic for us to handle one day. If you're you listening find me a to this show, to talk to though. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Ronda Rousey. Oh man, uh, I'm glad that you're a wrestler and an agent, and not a fucking stand-up comedian, Shane, because you would be real poor. Either I made, way, I made a lot of money being funny, bitch. <laughs> God, my juice. If you're listening to this show in 2018, shoot, this is what are we talking about. This today? is the week. This is the week after Ronda Rousey got beat by Amanda Nunes. Now, 
Oh, there are so many top. We're going to talk about gimmick matches today, but we we can't not ta- tackle this topic. Man, there's a lot of stuff about this. She looked horrible in that fight. Looked real bad. No head movement. Um, of course, a lot of fingers getting pointed at her her corner. People saying she'll never fight again. People saying WWE will definitely want her. People saying WWE won't ever want her. I want your thoughts on everything from the fight to her future, Shane. Um, well, obviously, it was a, a terrible performance. Um, she never really got out of the gates. Uh, before we say it was a terrible performance on her part, though, we got to say that a lot of her not being able to get out of the gate is within 10 seconds. Uh, Nunez lands a combo that just stuck her. You know, she may just be one of those people that she's lost her chin now. You know, it happens to Chuck Liddell. There was a time and Chuck could hit him with a damn truck and it wouldn't hurt him. And there at the end, he was getting knocked out by shots that never would have knocked him out. You know, I think she uh, she mentioned that she think, I think she broke a jaw against Holly Holm or something like that. So maybe she, she just had to play punches. And, you know, there's no set criteria for when that happens or no, or no set like um, getting hit that that happens, you know. Because um, wars, obviously, but Amanda Nunes is a hard, and Amanda Nunes is a hard-hitting human being, you know, male or female. That girl hits hard, obviously. So, um, opportunity to get out of the gate, and uh, when we talk about her, her grappling, the, the thing about that judo style is, you know, they grapple up, up high. You know, she's not one who's going to do a lot of single legs, a lot of double legs. You know, they kind of clinch up high. She has to get inside. And go for that clinch, and there comes the throw. Her knees are shot. Side on Nunes means she's going to have to take some shots. And if her knees are shot, obviously it's going to be hard to do a lot of shooting with you know with bad knees. So to get inside, she's going to have to take a couple shots. And uh, it was very apparent that she cannot take a couple shots from uh, Nunes. And actually, I'm not sure uh, who can. I mean, other than uh, I, I think looking forward, we got to talk about Kat Zagano is going to be going to be who. Uh, looks to be should be a challenger uh, in in the future, but you know Hito coming in and never stopped. And you know we all know, well, at least a majority of uh, MMA fans and MMA insiders thinks thinks that she needs a new training coach. And uh, I'm not going to disagree with that. I you know I'm not an insider uh, in her camp or anything, but he does to seem he does seem to be a bit of a dipshit. You know if you uh, just look at the people that go to him. And most of them, their careers tends to suffer. You know, if that starts to oh, be yeah. the case, you got to look at the common denominator. And and in this case, he's the common denominator. So, I, I talked to Showdown Joe, and I was like, "All right, let's run down the list of people that he's worked with." Travis Brown, when he came into the UFC heavyweight division, had some of the best footwork in the division already. I trained with Sh- with uh, Jessamyn Duke before before she turned pro. And she looked like she had every tool to be a top five fighter in whatever division she chose. Shayna Baszler trained with one of the greatest catch wrestlers of all time in uh, Billy Robinson. She was submitting people left and right. Jake Ellenberger was a really good 170-pounder who had fallen off a little bit. But every single one of those people were rendered to the point to where they couldn't win fights anymore. Man. And Amanda Nunes, did you see what Amanda Nunes said after the fight? About him? Somebody whose big background is a grappler, and they get a couple good knockouts. All of a sudden, they think they're knockout artists, and that's just not the case. Uh, definitely not all the time. Amanda Nunes said after the fight, basically, she said, 
Well, my game plan was to assume that she would have really shitty coaching, and as it turned out, she did. <laughs> uh, I think that's just, uh, you know, Ronda Rousey now, people just have figured her out, you know, and uh, so she's going to have to adjust. Her. She doesn't adjust her game plan, uh, what to do when she comes in. You know, she's going to come in. Like I said, she's going to try to clinch high and go for a throw. If you can just pop her coming in. if she And now, like I said, I mean, Getting beat up by Nunez isn't like she got beat up by Jabba Joe, you know what I mean? Uh, so she got beat up by really badass women. So um, it's easy to sit back and armchair quarterback and say she'll never fight again, but I'm not going to be one of those. You know, there I heard people say that that she can't handle adversity. I'm like, she's a, she's a fucking Olympian. What are you talking about? She can't. I'm sure her Olympic quest, there was adversity placed upon her. You know, she's a, I mean, she's a badass female. But she's going to have to make adjustments, you know, uh, if she's going to survive in this game. And if she's got, you know, if she's got a lot of interest coming from outside um, areas, you know, and if, and if that's a little bit more intriguing to her, then that might be something that she needs to explore because it ain't going to do her no good to go out there and get her ass kicked. Times. Well, she had two movie projects put on hold allegedly because she can't act. Um, WWE. I, I get the feeling they'd be a lot more interested in a guy named Conor McGregor because there was there was a comment on our YouTube that made a lot of sense. They said that America loves really strong women, and she has become very delicate mentally and physically of late. I think WWE would still be interested in her, but I think that her, her value is much, much, much lower than it was 14 months ago. I know you boy – Disco Inferno had some choice words about that. What what are you, What are your opinions on – Ronda Rousey, WWE, and that whole situation. I mean, I'm sure it's a, um, it might be a little bit lower, her, her value to WWE, but I'm sure they'll still be interested, no doubt. You know, uh, like I said, it's that armchair quarterback mentality to say you lose a couple fights and you're done. You know, um, she's definitely not done. She's still a badass, you know, uh, and she's still an intriguing person, you know, and, and uh, you know, it wasn't like Mike Tyson was at the top of the world when WWE used him, you know. Um, he was eating and, and, humans, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but he was taking some ass whippings too, you know. So, yes. um, I, I, there's still a value there. I mean, would they like Conor McGregor? Of course, fucking who wouldn't? I mean, uh, damn, <laughs> any show in the world right now would want Conor McGregor, even if it ain't got nothing to do with you know any sports at all. You know, he's a very entertaining, uh, charismatic figure. So, of course, they'd want him. But there's still a value for Ronda Rousey. I mean, it's absurd. she's a pioneer of this sport. I mean, there would be there would be interest for Misha Tate. There would be interest for Gina Carano if she ever wanted to. So to say there's no interest whatsoever is absurd. You know, it, did the stock drop a little bit? Eh, maybe so. But I, I guarantee you there's still interest. Oh, I mean, to, to further hammer home your point, if Conor McGregor offered to show up on this show just to punch me in the face, I would do it because of the numbers it would draw. I would absolutely do it. And Misha Tate... We actually, Fightful reached out to her right before she signed her Fox deal. So, unfortunately, we couldn't make that happen. But I, I agree. There's all this, oh, she lost twice. It's all over. She could fight in three months, and the UFC would love it, and she might win. She might win. Um, the Kat Zingano thing, she's got to get back in the cage. She hasn't won uh, since that 2014 fight over Nunez, and that that win over Nunez means a whole lot more now than it did a week ago. So she's got to get back in there. Um, 
for the the Rousey to WWE thing, I think they if if they bring her in, you I I think you should come in and gauge her reaction because there are people saying that she's getting booed when they show her on the screen during those WrestleMania promos now. If she comes in and she gets booed, let her work with a baby face. If she comes in and gets cheered out of the building, then have somebody like Charlotte heal the shit out of her and say, you think you can come over to our sport because you failed at yours? Like, there are, there are plenty of ways to do that. Oh, without a doubt. You know, I mean, the fans definitely play a, play a part in things. You know, if they don't like a character, they don't like a character. You know, uh, of course, there's the Roman Reigns factor, which is, <laughs> you know, that, that is what it is. But um, I think Ronda started getting booed to me when she did The Ultimate Fighter. Once you saw her and oh, Misha yeah. Tate, like, she went in, like, a really popular, not 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 talking about just popular, because but but a loved fighter. But watching that uh, Ultimate Fighter, you you start to get a a sense that she's not really that nice of a person. And Misha Tate came off like a sweetheart. Now that could have been all work, you know, she could have been putting on the act the whole time, but still, that's how it came off. And you know, and then you saw some of the stuff after the fight when she got uh, when she lost her home. You know, just the way she handled things and some of the things she says. You know, so uh, she's definitely coming off. Very unlikable. Then dodging the media on this fight before and after. I mean, if you saw Dominic Cruz go out there, he sat there and stood at the podium after that fight, you know, and, and not like a man, but just with, you know, with class, dignity, answered the questions. He got beat up, man. He, and I definitely didn't expect him to lose that fight, much less, you know, I mean, he got probably, I think he lost four, he did. Four, out of five, four out of five rounds. So uh, he stood there and he took it, man. And, uh, and, and I know it's it's easier to be humble in defeat, you know. Um, you know, the people always say that. You know, is uh, to me, it's easier to show class in defeat because why? Um, you ain't got shit to talk about once you get beat up. You know, once you win, then if you if you're humble in victory, and I hate the humble thing anyway, but if, but if you are, that's a little bit tougher because when you just beat somebody's ass, it's real easy to go out there and talk all that shit, but you deserved it. You've earned the right to do that. So, but Rhonda comes off bad either way. Even when she wins, she comes off like a heel. And when she loses, she comes off a heel. And so, I mean, she might just be a heel. So, uh, yeah. Mr. Sapp, you might, you might have a point. Maybe bring her in and let her be. Let her be that natural uh, personality that she seems to have and, and go with that. There are women in wrestling. Yeah. I mean, just kind of, I'm not saying she'll pop up in WWE TNA anywhere, but you put her in there with a Sasha Banks, a Gail Kim, a Bailey, they'll get something out of her. Big Show got a good match out of Floyd Mayweather, and Floyd Mayweather has not had a match before or since. There are smoke and mirrors there. Um, also, there's a guy named Conor McGregor who lost with class. He showed up. He said, Nate Diaz is the better man. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to beat him. And he's a bigger star than he's ever been, ever been. Yeah. Uh, also, I want to talk about uh, that that fight you mentioned, Cody Garbrandt. Wow. Yeah. I did not see that coming in a million years. Yeah. I was I was super surprised. You know, I still I still won my bets, but of course I couldn't pull off the parlay. Uh, I won four out of six. But um, yeah, uh, I I picked Dominic to win. Man, he's um he day, but it's the first time I've seen somebody faster than him. And in a fight game, and a lot of boxers will tell you this, and MMA guys, I'm sure, speed is the first thing to go. You know, speed, that's that's the first thing to go from a skill set. You know, you'll have your power almost to the end, you know, but speed, then reflexes, then power. You know, so uh, 
And if that's one of your main things, if that is your main thing that you're faster than somebody else, um, Roy Jones Jr. is somebody who comes to mind. That was always his thing. He never got hit. You know, he could duck, he could bob and weave, and nobody could ever touch him until he started getting touched. And then, you know, then his career went on a different trajectory. You know, so uh, and um, and, and maybe got, maybe Cody's just that much faster. Maybe he's just a super fast guy, and and that's what we saw. But uh, ho- hopefully, uh, Dominic come back because. He's really good, man. He's uh, he's one of the most technical fighters out there. You know, I think you called him a scientist, and that's probably as good a name for him as as anything. But he's a really good analysis too. So if he's looking at other things to do, I just kind of feel like the fight game, man. You kind of gotta have one focus. If you start getting distracted by outside shit, that's when people start getting beat up. Oh yeah, and I thought the moment where he gave the the title belt to the the child that had cancer that has been his friend for years that was a just an awesome moment that was that was uh that was incredible and before we get Super to baby face oh yeah before we get to the the gimmick uh topic of the day Todd Grisham former WWE announcer is now working for the UFC as a play-by-play announcer on the Fox Sports 1 shows what do you think of that move I don't Did know, I lose but, you? Yeah, you froze up for a second. You sure that's me or is that uh, you? It's definitely you. Either way, <laughs> uh, Todd Grisham, my former WWE announcer, is working yeah. for the UFC as a Fox Sports 1 play-by-play guy. What do you think about that? I think that's great, man. I know, I've known Todd for uh, many years. You know, I texted him right, right away. I said, I had heard inklings of this coming up, but uh, it was something I was asked not to say anything about. So, uh, you know, I, I respect my friend's wishes but uh, he knows his shit man don't think that he's just some outsider that uh, they're bringing in you know he knows what he's talking about uh and he he's a great talker he's, he, i think he'll be really good so if it, is it going to be him and uh rogan it, well it's going to be on the fs1 show so we don't know who his guy will be i think anik is moving up to pay-per-view in the interim okay, so until take, they get their guy so he'll take anik's place yeah it looks like it okay cool he'd be good man him and um Maybe him and uh, the guy we just mentioned, Mr. Cruz, would be a good little team, or him and Cormier. You know, uh, oh, Cormier yeah. is good on there. You know, uh, Chael Sonnen's another guy. Like, obviously, he's not going to do it for USC, but uh, it, I always like when you got a former fighter or somebody that really knows their shit, if they can talk. You know, Roy Jones Jr. in boxing's really good. If you used to listen to Foreman, Foreman would, he would lay them analysts out sometimes with some real shit because he'd been there, you know. I mean, being an analyst and being an outside, outside observer is one thing, and you might know as much as as an observer can, but when you got that inside knowledge of somebody that's actually walked that walk, to me that just adds a little bit of a little bit more credibility to the game. So I would like to see Todd paired with Cruz or Cormier or somebody like that. Well, uh, I think Kenny it's Foyan. I think it's crucial. Like I've done Never color done. commentary and I've done play by play for pro wrestling and MMA, and I always prefer to be the play by play guy because. I think it's always more beneficial to have somebody who has been there at a high level to do the color commentary or analysis. You can have a color commentator and an analyst and an analyst, but I always prefer the play-by-play thing because if I'm going to get jobs elsewhere, it's more likely going to be as a play-by-play guy because if I were a promoter, I would want a former fighter or a former wrestler in that color commentary or analyst spot. So I think it's crucial. I think Ty Grisham is a, is a good hire. He knows his stuff. And I think he'll be a good play-by-play guy. Now, yeah, I think it's going to be great. To the topic of the day, gimmick matches. 
Shane. Gimmick. Gimmick matches. We have some questions, too. You've been in your fair share of gimmick matches. And, and I've got them listed here. Some of the, some of the moments, some of the, the dates and times. We'll get started with a few of these and how, how they stack up. Some of the challenges, some of the benefits of doing these. We're going to start with the old mixed tag match where you got to team up with a female wrestler. Back in the day, the 90s, you could wallop those girls. Today, it's a little bit different, Shane. Do you remember when that change was made where it's like, hey, let's maybe not beat the shit out of the women on the show? Uh, I can't remember the exact date. I'm pretty sure it was around the PG era when that started. Um, it can be a, a difficult uh, situation when you're a baby face because you don't want to go in there and, you know, just start you know, pounding on the female. Yeah, I mean, it's different down in Mexico. It's different down in Mexico. And I know uh, Lucha Underground, they go out there and kind of do whatever. But um, it can put you in a difficult situation. But at the same time, in real life, amateur wrestling, I had to wrestle a female. And you got to take it seriously. You got to go in there and you got to wrestle this person seriously or she'll beat your ass. You know, so it's, it's a difficult little thing. Um, you know, for me uh, personally, I was a superhero, you know, so I need to be on the side of justice and all of this. So I would not want to go in there. And uh, I always it always kind of made me uncomfortable because, uh, you know, you got to be aware that there's kids watching. And, and sometimes you can send the wrong message. You know, the message that it's OK for women to hit men and men not to hit women. That, too, is the wrong message, because I think women see that on TV or as young girls. And then they go try to implement that shit in real life. And not, that's not exactly how it plays out in real life and can put them in dangerous situations, which I don't want to happen for anybody. So that's always that's always been in the back of my mind. I would see it when I was a kid. You know, you watch, you know, whatever show and women be slapping the shit out of men and the men you know, didn't do anything back in real life. That's not the case. So I, I've always been wary of that message. And I never really liked it. You know, I'm not a big fan of uh, mixed tag matches at all. They could be entertaining at times if you got good characters. But just to go out there and, and do that, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of that at all. Based on my research, the majority of yours were on live event loops. I know you teamed with Ivory a lot, uh, obviously Molly Holly a lot. Which was your favorite to work with, and what kind of challenges did each one of those perhaps present? Because I know you worked, you worked against uh, Lita and Matt. Yeah, when we would do the ones where the guys and girls would have to tag out, to me that became a little easier. Uh, and then, but keep in mind, and that's a lot different, as I was saying, than the, the actual message I was talking about a while ago. Because in pro wrestling, these girls are really tough. They are, they're not these delicate flowers that you got to be, you know, you got to tiptoe through the tulips with. You know, so as a heel, if it was me and Molly or me and Ivory, you know, I wasn't supposed to be in there with, say, Lita. I'm the referee's back. We would go in there and double suplex them. And as a heel, then I would jump up and, you know, whatever pose. As a heel, it was a little bit easier for me. As a baby face, it was tough because you're not supposed to hit the girl because there is this whatever subliminal idea that they're delicate flowers. But in real life, that's not the case. You know, uh, Miss Jacqueline to go out there and punch you in the damn face. You know, <laughs> I yeah. remember Crash Holly telling me like some of his toughest matches were with Miss Jacqueline because she would knock the shit out of you. So, but that's the thing. Um, mindset that they can beat the shit out of the guys and the guys just have to take it. it, it you know, you got to work around it, you know, is it, but it can be difficult. What was your reaction to being told, Hey, 
you're going to work like a (laughs) over the next month you're going to work with ivory against these two did that make sense i mean maybe that was part of the alliance angle I, i can't really recall but i mean i know you had like a month where some days it would be you and ivory or the majority of the live events was you and ivory against matt and lita Did I, did I lose you again? Did I lose you again, Matt? Uh, Shane? Man, I can do Are you there? That. What about now? Yeah. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Shane? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay. When you start talk, when you start talking, it gets really choppy, and I don't know what the hell you're saying. It's okay. I'll, I'll edit it. Um, so I know that you did this this like one month loop with Ivory. What was the thought process in that when you're told, "Hey, you're going to go about a month teaming with Ivory"? It was longer than that. It seemed, you know, we would we would team a lot. I don't know. I don't know exactly how long it was. It was fun because uh, you know uh, Lisa I, Ivory had a. Um, I mean, she'd been around a long time, so I didn't really have to, like, call the match for her. You know, I could – when uh, me and uh, – say it was Matt and Lita or whatever, me and Matt would kind of put together the meat of the match. But with two girls, uh, with Lita and uh, Ivory and two women like that – women, I should say, not girls. But two women like that, you know, uh, they they know how good they are and they know what they can do. So it kind of all came together pretty easily. I didn't find anything difficult. Like I say, it was a little bit easier as a heel because you could go in there and, you know, if you – if I – grabbed a leader's foot or something. Then you get this big boob because you just laid one finger on it. So that was a little bit easier. It's probably tougher for Matt in that situation because, you know, Ivory, I'm sure would slap the shit out of him and he couldn't do anything until the end. At the end, I'm sure he would hit her with a twist of fate or something like that and um, get get a big pop. But back in those days, we could, you know. I remember leader would hurricane me all the time. And then I remember there was one, we did one really good uh, tag match I was teaming with Lance Storm and uh, against Matt and Jeff, but all the girls would feed in. You know, Molly came in, Ivory came in, Lita came in. And I think Jeff did his his spot where he, he double-legged, uh, I want to say it was uh, Ivory, and gave her the, like, you know, double-leg drops to the midsection, which hurts women just as much as it hurts guys, I'm, I'm guessing. And Ivory sold it like a million bucks. Uh, Lance Storm fed up. Here comes Lita with a hurricane, and then I went into whatever the finish was. But uh, – you know, wrestling fans, when the women deserve it, they kind of come with it, you know, as far as, uh, you know, the man finally retaliating on them. But it, like I say, it's, it's a weird situation. Now, a lot of these are going to be tag-based. You had a pretty uh, interesting tag career, obviously, between teaming with a super heavyweight, between teaming with other cruiserweights. But there was one, you had a flag match against La Resistance. What was that like? I know that the flag match is – Kind of cool and protecting someone because nobody gets pinned, nobody gets submitted. Anybody can climb up and grab a damn flag. What was that like for you? I don't even remember that. Was that with Slaughter or was that me and no, Rosie? You and Rosie, June 14th, 2004, Monday Night Raw against Rob Conway and Sylvain Grenier. How, did, how do you win that match? I don't even know what you're looking for. You climb up the pole and you grab a flag. So you're telling me Rosie did not climb up this pole? 
Apparently not. I, I think he lives like somewhat near me. Somebody said that they went and did his direct TV recently, and like he was there. I was yeah. Like, what? Oh, there you have. You- um, I don't remember. I don't remember that, that at all. I remember a flag match, but I don't remember what happened. I, I remember putting up a flag because they were doing that old school uh, foreign heel heat with La Resistance, which. Um, I mean, it was, it was working at the time. I mean, your fans really disliked them fellers. But uh, I don't remember that match. I mean, I'm sure any of those matches you climb a pole or something or kind of – the pole was in the corner, I'm guessing. You got to climb that shit. Uh, yes. I, those, to me, and I, I distinctly remember Eddie Guerrero climbing a pole in WCW, and he was all oiled up, and he kept sliding down the pole. <laughs> it was fucking ridiculous. But you you look ridiculous climbing a pole no matter what. So uh, Yeah. That's one of those things where even you, when you win, you're kind of like, yeah, that guy's climbing a pole and it looks fucking stupid. So um, I like to know who climbed it because sometimes they're not that easy. You know, like, like I said, Eddie looked like he was on a damn slip and slide. You have been on record before saying that the Battle Royal is one of the most dangerous matches, especially the Indie Battle Royal. Fuck yeah. You were in a Battle Royal, not just an Indie Battle Royal. You were in a Battle Royal promoted by the Insane Clown Posse one time at jcw how were you were you like going in like hey guys listen just so you know i broke my neck once so let's maybe just chill a little bit i'll tell you the funny thing the funniest moment in there not funniest but most memorable to me was uh two you know not only was my neck broke i also my ankle had been you know fused together my ankle and foot are fused so uh my left foot and ankle are pretty much metal garbage (laughs) If I kick you with it now, it might knock your ass out, but it's not very flexible. And as I was getting thrown over that top rope, right then I'd realized I hadn't been thrown over the top rope since I hurt hurt this foot. And I was like, man, I wonder what this is going to feel like. And so when I landed, it hurt like hell. And I was like, oh, and I thought I'd hurt something again because there's a lot of scar tissue in there and the scar tissue pops and it sounds like your knuckles popping. And it hurts, and it's it, but it's a temporary pain, but it's a, like it's a sharp pain, you know. But it kind of goes away, and I'm just sitting there holding my ankle, going, "Damn, hoping I didn't hurt it again." But I'm selling like a bitch, you know. And so here comes Zach Gowan flying over the top rope, laying right beside me. So I'm over here holding my hurt leg, but his ass ain't got but one leg. So I had to suck it up and go, "Oh well," you know, fuck it. And we picked each other up and helped each other up the ramp and just got out of there. That is phenomenal. And also, you were in a tag team battle royal. You were in a tag team battle royal where Matt and Jeff actually won the tag team titles. How's that any different? Like, you, you got a teammate, but it's a battle royal. When was that? When was that? 2007. You were with Chavo yeah. Guerrero. And it was a battle royal? Wow. Um, cool. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't remember that at all. Uh, I guess. I remember more of your career than you do, Shane. Hey, I got that CTE like a motherfucker, I'm going to tell you. Oh, okay. um, I guess, I mean, so, so both, if one guy gets eliminated or do both guys have to get eliminated? I think one person and you're out. And by the way, Shawn Michaels and John Cena went into that match as tag champions. It was the night after WrestleMania. Who, who went in as tag champions? Cena and Shawn Michaels. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't remember that shit at all. <laughs> and there was a, a, such luminaries – such luminaries as Kevin Thorne and Marcus Corvon. I thought Marcus Corvon, Monty Brown, I thought he was going to be something special. 
Yeah, yeah. He, he left for family reasons, though. He didn't left because he couldn't succeed or anything. He made a personal decision to take care of his family. Monty Brown did. So uh, got to add that asterisk in there to that. Yeah, hope hope he's doing well. Like I, I always heard about that. Fake Twitter accounts pop up as him all the time. Like all the time I see fake Monty Brown Twitter accounts. But staying hmm. on the tag team topic and a little bit of the Battle Royal topic, the Texas Tornado Tag Match. This is different from a regular tag match because – Everybody's in the ring at the same time. What are some of the difficulties that you face in that? Uh, you competed in one uh, against Maven and Simon Dean. I competed in one. I teamed with Simon Dean. No, you competed against Maven and Simon Dean. You don't remember any of this shit. Man, a lot of bumps, man. Uh, who won? I'll look. I, 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 I generally remember shit. You all did. It was a title match. It was May 23rd, 2005. You and Rosie defended your tag titles against Maven and Simon Dean. What are some of the challenges in a Texas Tornado match versus a typical tag team match? Now, that's uh, everybody's in the ring at the same time. So the biggest challenge is uh, you can easily be distracted by, uh, you know, if there's something you really want everybody to see, it's easy to get distracted if the other guys are out there fucking around, you know, doing something um, so that's that's the main thing. It's hard to focus on what's going on sometimes, uh, which is, I mean, that's the challenge for any of those uh, multi-man matches. You know, it's hard to focus on uh, important elements of the match at times. So, I mean, that's the biggest challenge. You know, you guys do this, and then we'll do this, and you guys do this, and you try to take turns so that, uh, I mean, so that the full crowd and the TV crowd can see see what needs to be seen. So that's the biggest challenge. That seems like it'd be more challenging for the production team than actually the performers because – the production it team is. might not know who to focus on. It is. It is. You know what I mean? But it's the job of the agent to kind of, you know, send in cues or time cues. But so many of that stuff's like uh, a lot of that stuff's on the fly and ad lib. So that could be really difficult. That's why you need an agent on headset that uh, has an eye for what to look for and knows what might be coming. And you need a producer on headset, too, that uh, you know, has been there, has been doing it for a long time. And, you know, there's nothing worse as a performance, say, than like you're climbing for the to the top rope to do a spot and the camera cuts to some crowd shot shooting some other shit while you're out there landing on your head. So uh, in an ideal situation, you want somebody in that truck and somebody on headset that's uh, been there before and is calling the action and knows what to look for. It's question time, but I'm not letting one of the fans ask it yet. I want this question. From oh, a shit. performer standpoint and from an agent standpoint, either, either whether it's individually or separate, what are the worst type of gimmick matches to have to work around? Uh, I, I think just any of those, anything goes weapon matches where they're all over the place. Those those are the most difficult because you really lose psychology. I mean, that's the thing with those. You sacrifice psychology for stunts when you're doing those matches. Now, I mean, that doesn't mean that there's no psychology. There can be some, but it kind of goes out the window when you're just, you know, you're trying to set up tables and, Set, find this, you know, find a place to use a ladder. And now you got these, a couple of the guys are out in the crowd fighting and, you know, you, you want to shoot them sporadically so that they're not ignored in the story. But, uh, I mean, th those can be challenging. You know, anytime you got, uh, from an agent standpoint, anytime you got these matches where there's, you know, more than two or four people involved, man, it can be really difficult and really, uh, you know, challenging to get everybody the proper amount of screen time to get everybody to be involved and do something good. So th those are the most challenging to me. 
you know, I'm old school, man. I like an old school. My favorite match is just a regular tag team match. That's my favorite type of match. Well, you, you mentioned the multiple people. That was very much your career early on in WCW. Yeah. It was like five, six people, whether it was singles matches, tag team matches. There were always a lot of people there. And it went from a situation where it was three count versus uh, the Young Dragons to three teams where I think it was uh, Jamie Noble left and I can't mm. remember who the who the other one that left the Young Dragons were, but they teamed up. Well, No, it was Jamie it was, and Evan Gray just got together. There you go. Sorry about that. And then yeah, you had those more matches, offshoots of that. Well, those are fine as long as it's still a tag match. We still got just the two guys in the ring. If the two guys are in the ring, we, we can still focus on that, and that's still your story. It only gets distracting when you got more than two guys in the ring at a time, and you're trying to focus on two different fights or three different fights or whatever the hell's going on. That's when it can get difficult. You know, but no matter if it's a, a tag match, a six-man, or even an eight-man match, you know, if it's just two legal guys in the ring, that kind of makes it a little bit easier and you can still focus on that story and you can still have, have a really good uh, psychological, um, you know, out, outline of, of what's going to happen. So around that same time, you were also in a few hardcore matches. You're <laughs> technically a WCW hardcore champion because you all beat Brian Nobbs' ass. I'm one of two people to be hardcore champion in WCW and WWF. Look Only at one you. Or two. Look at you. See that shit right there, Kenny? Hey, are you the only person to be WWE and WCW cruiserweight and hardcore champion? Yes. That's fancy. That's fancy. What, what, what was your reaction when you were told, what was your reaction when you were told, hey, you're going to have a hardcore title run? Fucking, uh, well, that was our first. That was the first major championship, you know. And uh, I know the hardcore title is not exactly at the top of the hierarchy there, but it's still a championship. We're one of the biggest companies in the world, so um, we were fine with it, you know. Uh, but in those hardcore matches, man, in WCW, man, they would it would be like lead pipes and shit that they would have. So um, we would what we would do is we would distract Brian Knobs, me, uh, Shannon, and Evan, not and hard Jimmy to do. Hart would go. Yeah, not hard to do. And uh, Jimmy Hart would sneak around and take all of the dangerous items out of the fucking shopping cart, the ones that would actually kill us. So Jimmy Hart was on our side because it'd be axe handles in there. And these these matches were designed that we're getting our ass kicked, you know. So we're the ones getting hit with these knobs. And, like, I know one time when we finally lost a title to him, we beat the shit out of him with them chairs. Out of, like, three weeks. And we're like, man, we didn't say nothing when you're beating the hell out of us. But when we came back with those chairs – I was swinging that shit with all my life. So you all were co-hardcore champions. Uh, he beat you back for the title at Uncensored. Now, that wasn't the only – I mean, you, we talked about how you also won it in the WWF. One of the more famous or infamous spots hey, was real, real Molly. Quick, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, though. When we lost it, there was a spot in that match where I think Shannon was pinning Brian Knobs. And I, I might be messing it up, but I think it was Shannon pinning Brian Knobs. And Brian put his foot on the rope, and the referee stopped the count. So after the match, I was talking to Kevin Sullivan. I was like, yeah, that was kind of a fuck-up, though, because it's a hardcore match. Anything goes. Who cares if his foot's on the rope? And Kevin thought about it, and then he goes, do you want the belt back? And I said, nope. (laughs) 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 He goes, you want the belt back? Nope. (laughs) 
That's good stuff. As, as I mentioned, you had a hardcore title run in WWE. One of the more infamous spots, obviously, was Molly Holly knocking the shit out of you with a <laughs> frying pan. Now, as, as you mentioned before, that sounded real because it's a real frying pan. Were there any weapons that, whether WCW or WWE, would kind of, I don't want to say fake because that's not, that's not the right term to use when you're using weapons. Are there any that were made to be a little more <laughs> forgivable? Some were easy. The cookie, like the cookie sheets were banned, and they would look a little bit more rough than they were. And the uh, the trash cans, it's like they were easy in comparison to steel chairs. It was still you're getting bashed in the head. So there were some that were easier than others, but none of them were easy. They, cried, they might gimmick some things back in the day so they break easier. But I know in WCW they they wouldn't gimmick shit. They were just breaking the hell in our matches anyway. So. I don't think they cared about three count too much. They didn't care about our health care. Um, but, yeah, so it should all kind of hurt. And I remember with that frying pan, like, it was this hard-ass rubber mallet thing. That's what it was made out of. Uh wasn't like cast iron, but it was something that would bash my damn head apart. And uh, we were about to film this. And I just remember telling the sound guys and the lighting guys, and and uh, I can't remember who was producing this segment. You know, it could have been uh, Bruce Pritchard or might have been Brian Gowers or somebody was producing. But anyway, I told everybody, I said, if something's fucked up, if there's a microphone in the shot or the lighting isn't good, y'all stop us before she bash me with this fucking frying pan because this shit's only going to happen once. And because, uh, I mean, the other idea is that she just, like, hits me in the leg with her. So I was like, no, you know, it's going to look better up top and, you know, toward the back of the head. So I'll do that. And I'll do it. It's WrestleMania. You know, I'm a, yeah. I am won a hardcore title at WrestleMania. So I'm happy. And I, it's okay. I'm going to lose it. And I'm going to get bashed in the head. I'm going to make it look as good as I can. But I don't want to go to the damn hospital either. So, <laughs> so stop me before, this, before she swings this shit if it ain't perfect. Knowing what you know now about – brain brain injuries would you have done that well, i mean well that one really hit me at the, toward the top of the neck you know i did a i did a very good whiplash of that yeah head, so it didn't touch my head hit me toward the top of the neck and back i mean but anytime you get a whiplash it rattles your brain around so uh i probably still would have done a lot of stuff i was never really big on getting bashed in the head with chairs and shit anyway so i mean i knew that couldn't be good you know <laughs> you know uh i mean i was never one of those guys go wow really concussions are bad for you hmm you know, uh, it was kind of obvious to me that, that shit like that would be bad. I don't think anybody thought that they would be as bad. You know, we thought it was something that you just get over. And, I mean, you might be, you know, whatever, silly for a day or two. No, nobody really ever thought it would have lasting long-term effects that it does. But I bet it makes sense. You know, you can't put your brain in a sling. You know, you hurt your brain. It's generally going to stick around for a while, if not forever. I'm not going to get too much into the Molly Holly thing because I think that that's a good topic for a future show. Maybe some of your valets because you had Stacy and I had Tank them all. Abbott. I had Tank all Abbott, the, the, the sexiest. Abbott. Had all the way uh, Tank Abbott. I'll say Molly Holly is a girl that I would really like to see if, if they ever need an opponent for somebody in NXT. I loved Molly Holly. I thought yeah. that she was great. I was sad to see her retire so early, but she seems to be doing well. Yeah. So we, the hardcore matches naturally lead into a match that really helped put you on the map, Shane, these ladder matches. In a time yeah. where I thought WCW was getting kind of hard to watch, these ladder matches and that feud was one of the things that 
made me take notice. Now, before we get to that, you were slated, well, on TV, slated to be a part of a TLC match, but they pulled you uh, maybe in an effort to make Kane more sympathetic from that TLC match. How did you find out about all that and that you wouldn't be involved? And what was your reaction to that? Because you were kind of known for ladder matches. Uh, I found out that day, you know, just early in, you know, not you know, when I got to the building, I met with everybody, and uh, that's when I found out. And uh, yeah, it sucks. And, and it, I mean, I knew it. I knew it sucked right away. But uh, you know, maybe I was just like, man, does this really suck? Because it's just me. Because I wanted to be in this match, and I should have been in the match. But uh, in post, everybody knew it was a terrible idea to take me out of the deal. So, um, but it but it was done at that point. You, know? <laughs> you, you can't turn a pickle back into a cucumber, so it was already done at that point. But it, it did suck, and we all knew it sucked. I thought that was a little weird. I mean, Kane, not exactly known for ladder matches. I, I felt like they had that overwhelming monster baby face with the sympathetic baby face. Mm-hmm. Why were you told that you were were pulled from that? I mean, just just like that. That's what they need a sympathy on Kane, and it's hard to get sympathy on the Incredible Hulk. You know, that's why they beat up the Avengers, and the Hulk makes the save. It's hard to beat the Hulk up, and and that's mainly what it was. And uh, you know, and and Hunter stepped up, and like he'll be the one to take me out. You know, so uh, and not just do one little tiny thing to go out there and really beat my ass. So uh, I I think I even suggested like, can I just do something at the end where I stagger out and and, and try to do something and it doesn't work. And they were like, yeah, but that takes the emphasis off of this story. And, and, and in that aspect, they were right. But I still think that we could have done, I could have been out there and got taken out early and nobody would have been, nobody would have thought any less of Kane or whatever, you know, or any less of the match. So um, dumb decision, it happens. But it wasn't, wasn't my call. I would have been in there for sure. Yeah, I was, I was actually disappointed. I remember watching that. I was like, man. This is That's one of the, the guys that total, it was just total disappointment. And when your character is a superhero and you don't come to save the day when your own partner, it like it just really you know, highlighted, you know, and made me look bad and, and you know didn't didn't make me look good at all. Was did anybody backstage like at the top level say, in retrospect, this was a bad idea? Oh, everybody. No, all the guys in the match agreed, you know, so everybody knew it was a bad idea. Well, speaking of those ladder matches that kept me watching WCW at that point, um, you had the one against Jamie Noble, Kazayashi, and Yang at New Blood Rising, and then you had the three-way ladder match at Starcade, And that one at Starcade, damn. That was something to behold. That was – I remember uh, I think Dave Meltzer rated that like four stars. like, And this was six guys that maybe a year before – Nobody had a damn clue who they were. And you all went out and stole the show. Not just stole the show. Stole it at Starcade. You got Goldberg. You got Sid. You got Luger. You got, like, these people, DDP, Nash, Jeff Jarrett, Rey Mysterio. And you guys stole the show. What kind of feeling was that? Because you all opened the show. Poor Lance Storm and Ernest Miller had to follow you guys. <laughs> uh yeah, that was definitely a match you shouldn't open with. So, but uh, they were kind of in the habit of opening with us, and uh, they shouldn't have at that particular point. You know, um, I'm very proud of that one. That was one of the, one of the, my matches that I'm, I'm most proud of. I laid out probably 80 percent of that match, and not that I told the guys what moves to do, but I just laid it out. And said, okay, now here's Shannon, you do something. Boom. Okay, now Yang, here's where you need to do something. 
And so, um, you know, so I was very proud of that. But everybody really, you know, stepped up and, uh, you know, pulled their weight. And that was definitely WCW's best ladder match of all time. And even though WWE had to admit it when they made the best of the ladder match DVDs, they uh, put us on that. So, uh, so it was good, you know. And it was that moment when I did the uh, swinging neckbreaker off of uh, Jamie Noble. And I just looked to the crowd, you know, I'm, I'm Matt called me uh, uh, after that. And, uh, and I remember Canyon saying something along the lines, too. He's like, that was a star-making spot right there. So that's when you look like you were a star. And uh, so I always remember him saying that. If there's one thing I did wrong in there, and, I, you know, it's because time was running out. You know, we needed to get out of there. We're getting we, – I think we went over a couple minutes. When me and Shannon finally got the contract, we should have stood up there. And stayed up there longer. But if you'll notice, if you go back and ever watch, we grab it and we got the hell out of there. But it's, it's because we're running out of time. But seeing how we were already over time, we should have stood up there and got more of that glory shot and just let that crowd know. Yeah, we, we know we stole the show and we're letting you know that we know. We should have stayed up there and got more of that glory shot. Shane, in doing some research for this, I didn't see any cage matches listed like on your match listings, anything like that. I'm sure you've been in a cage match. What experience do you have there? Uh, yeah, my uh, very first cage match actually was with the fantastic Bobby Fulton. Uh, I was a replacement for Ricky Morton, who couldn't make the show. And uh, this was an indie show back in the day. Uh, so maybe it was pre-WCW, so it could have been 97, 99. And, uh, and I remember, you know, going over, the <laughs> going over the match with Bobby. I was like, yeah, I'll just jump off the top of the cage. I'll miss something, you know. <laughs> and uh you know, his finish was the power driver. I was like, yeah, I'll just jump off the top and miss something. Brother, you sure you want to do that bump? I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. And I was crazy as hell back then anyway. And um, and so anyway, I never, I hadn't seen the cage at this point. I go out there and that cage is 30 fucking foot high. Like you could <laughs> stand on the top turnbuckle and not reach the top of this cage. I was like, holy God. And it's all rickety and shit. And it's like, it's not, it's not a professional cage at all. And uh, at some point in the match, I got Bobby had thrown me, and we we're having a you know having a real good match, you know, and uh, and Bob, Bobby was a real good worker. And I got thrown over the top rope, and I hit the cage and slid down. I said earlier, it was a piece of shit cage, and there was a piece of barb or something that was sticking out, and it cut oh. me from the back of this shoulder all the way down my back to the like the kidney area on the other side, and most of it was a surface scratch, but it was about you know about area about this long that was pretty deep and I landed on my back you know it just felt like a burn it didn't feel like nothing but when I rolled over there's a puddle of blood there and Bobby Fulton oh. was he was a blood a phobe at the time you know he's a oh my god you know he just started freaking out like uh, and in his career he was a guy that you know red equals money red equals green type yeah. guy you know what I mean so he's one of them but he'd uh I don't know what made him change his mind, but he was a, you know, germaphobe, bloodophobe or whatever at this point. So he kind of freaked out a little bit about all that blood. It's like, brother, you're bleeding. You're bleeding bad. And I looked down and I saw this puddle. I was like, shit. Because, you know, like to me, it didn't even hurt. I just know, man, do I got to go to the fucking hospital? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's that pro wrestling mentality. Like, what? What a such an aggravation to have to go to the hospital. And I was like, man, fuck. And um, he goes, you still want to jump off that cage? And I go, hell no. And he punched me in the dick and pinned me. 
that is he may he might have did the power driver too, but I just remember he punched me in the dick and then it could have been a power driver there. I don't know, but I know I got pinned. I was like, fuck it. Oh man. And we didn't even go to the hospital either. We just uh somebody has some kind of adhesive that they put on like some kind of medical adhesive. And we used it wasn't exactly scotch tape, but it was some bullshit tape and we just squeezed my skin together and taped it up. That's horrible. I know. Indie guys Did today you, don't know how good they got it. Oh, man. Well, you know, I, I rally against Kentucky regulating pro wrestling. Then I hear stuff like that, and I'm like, oh, maybe. Oh, man, I was fine, man. Put, I put some, I went home and took some Robitussin, and I was good. Oh, man. Uh, been in any cage matches since then? Uh, there was one other one, and he's not, 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 no cage matches uh, on a professional, like a, you know, WCW or WWE at all. No, to be in the war games. That's the one I want to be in. Oh man. Well, we'll talk about that. War games. It's a, it's a concept that WWE hasn't embraced, which is weird to me because they have the elimination chamber structure, which seems like, like I've said before, if WCW could have designed that back then, they probably would have, they would have had little pods to release people. Instead of yeah. making them open the door and run in, it seems like a natural concept. Um, yeah, I, mean, I know Vince didn't like the that's idea. A deriv- that's a derivative, obviously, of the War Games is the Elimination Chamber. The War Games is just a much better name. You know that yes, whole list, the War Games begin. You know that was always bad. There's a company in North Carolina. I want to say it's PWX that actually does the War Games. They got the oh. two rings. Yeah, I think they got the two rings. I can't remember shit. But I know they did a War Games match, so I'm assuming it should have been two rings. If not, that's some bullshit. Speaking of Elimination Chamber, that's that's a you know a pretty popular match. Well, I don't want to say popular, but it's a prominent match these days. Have you been in an Elimination mm-hmm. Chamber match? I just fucking said that, Sap. Sorry. Sorry, Damn. I'm losing you a little bit. Even even the oh, Orlando internet is me now. I'm in a, I'm in a super wide. This is your bullshit wildfire. Come on, hotel I, internet. I teleported, I teleported to a new location. <laughs> You're going to tell me Kentucky, that hotel can, internet? Come on, hotel internet is trash. Man, you got that Kentucky Fried Wi-Fi, and that's what's fucked up. I got Time Warner, buddy. I got Time Warner. Yeah. You got heat with Time Warner? I do got heat with Time Warner. Maybe so that's it. It got nothing to do with nothing, but I'll tell you this. One week, my internet and cable all went out. And this was – and then we're going to come fix it for like six days. You know, and I do a lot of business on the internet, you know, much as yourself does. Like six days, I can't be out with my shit and TV for six days. My neighbor worked for DirecTV. So, ching, 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 I give his ass a call. Asked him to hook me up. He goes, yep. So I called Time Warner back, and I said, come get your shit. And um, they said, you know, whatever, we'll be there Wednesday at 1 o'clock. And I said, listen, I'm not waiting for your ass at all. He said, Wednesday at 1 o'clock, if you're not here, I'm putting your shit out by the road. All your equipment. And she goes, sir, you can't just put our equipment by the road. And I go, I promise you there's no law that forces me to keep your shit in my house. Wednesday, 1 o'clock, shit's going by the road. And uh, so <laughs> when they finally called me Wednesday, they were on time like hell too. And they called me and uh, you know, asked me to verify the house. I said, "Yeah, look for the Direct TV van. I'm right beside it." 
And the guy started laughing. I said, I'm not, I said, I'm not joking. I said, that's where I'm at. My shit's already installed. All you gotta do is pick it up. You I legitimate said, you legit broke up with your cable provider. Yeah, I said we done. And when I, when I do breakups, I don't go back together. It's over. Did did so Time Warner like call you later, like, I left some CDs at your house? Anything? Get the hell out of here. Damn. I mean, it's only right after the uh, end of WCW. You had to you had to kick Time Warner in the ass a little bit, right? Yeah, right? That's probably it. There was some residual heat there, subliminal that I didn't think about. Exactly. Yeah. Inferno match. You have any desire to ever be in one of those? Fuck no, they're stupid. I thought they were stupid too, and usually the way that they end, it's uh, it, like you, you catch somebody's hand on fire barely. I know MVP caught his whole ass on fire one time. That was scary. The stuff that we did in Total Nonstop Deletion with the uh, the Hardys and Decay and uh, uh, you know fighting through the uh, through the fire stuff that was way better than any Inferno match. Yeah, you. I mean, I thought that was that was pulled off pretty. That was pulled off pretty damn well. I mean, as you said on another show, you're setting up shots and you're like, well, we got to make sure that the volcano is ready. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was better than any Inferno match I've seen. So i tell you what, I had to follow an Inferno match one time. And this was a fucking stupid – the show The show was laid out brutal. I had a match with Jimmy Wang Yang, and the match itself was good, but we had to follow – like the show started with an Inferno match. And then it was there was a ladder match, the ladder match in uh, which Joey Mercury got his face cut off. And his oh eyeballs. God! And then it was like a grudge match with Benoit and Chavo. And then me and Jimmy Yang had to go out and have a wrestling match after all that shit. And we're like, "Well, gee, fucking thanks." You know, you saw one guy get set on fire. You got one guy get his head cut off. Then you got this grudge match, and now me and Jimmy Yang got to go out there and work a body part. Like God damn, and the match like the crowd just you know after everything they seen they were bloodthirsty at that point, and um and it wasn't their fault. I mean that's the way you know that was the mood and tone that was set. So I mean this definitely wasn't a match they wanted to see. We we got them toward the end by just working our ass off, but the crowd reaction was you know wasn't what we wanted. Uh, but it was a it was the worst spot to be on in on an entire card it was in that that particular spot. So bastards. That's my Inferno match story. That's all I got. You were a part of one of my favorite Survivor Series matches of all time when you and your boys got shit kicked <laughs> by hey, Shawn man. Michaels, Triple H, that CM Punk, and match. the Hardys. That was we almost great, had it. I loved I loved yeah. that. Like Shawn Michaels. Yeah, that was uh, do, you, do you still have heat with Shawn Michaels? No, hell no. I thought we addressed that before. No, not at all. No. Well, uh, I love the opening of that match. He kicks Mike Knox, and he's like, "Is he a part of the match?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was, was a, that was a spot for Mike. You know, it was funny, but yeah, like you got to imagine that you know, if you're Mike Knox, you know, nobody looks at it from his point of view. Whatever, you know, I felt bad for him. And uh, actually, they was just going to super kick him without any setup. Mm-hmm. And it was I came up with the idea that Hunter tries to distract that he gets distracted by Hunter trying to go to Kelly Kelly and get her to show a gimmicks because Kelly was an exhibitionist on the show uh, ECW anyway. So that was kind of her deal. And it kind of got her involved and, you know, it put over the DX thing. And then at least Mike Knox had a reason to get distracted instead of like just walking over and Sean kicked him in the face. So uh, 
that was me really trying to help, help, help you know, the situation out because I kind of felt bad for Mike. I mean, Mike's a professional. He might not even give it, giving a shit. But I mean, if you, you know, if you got a thing, you're in a, a big, you know, big setting like the Survivor Series. It was the co-main event, big match. You know, a lot of build up to the match, and then to just get taken out like that, man, it's kind of a shitty way to do it. But it was entertaining, and at the end of the day, we're entertainers. So I mean, it worked, but. That was a pretty prominent spot for you. I know you had been working on and off with, with Matt Hardy before that. You had worked with The Undertaker right before that, uh, Rey Mysterio right before that. So, I mean, this is nothing new for you, but what was your reaction when they're like, hey, you're going to be in this match, and it's you know, Shawn Michaels and Triple H, they've obviously always protected at that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of expected. I was kind of, you know, it was weird about what the eliminations were going to be, but I was one of the guys that, that agreed, like, let's do the 5-0 and o thing. I think that only been done one time before. And actually at the time, I couldn't remember it ever being done before. And uh, shocking with my great memory, as, as uh, you noticed. But I, my memory's better for things that I've seen than things I've actually been in, you know. Uh, but I had never, I couldn't remember, uh, recall ever that ever happening. So I was like, oh, but I mean, this actually would be cool. It's, I mean, especially if it's done right, you know, and you can build it up. And, and with Orton and Edge being those chicken shit heels, man, I just... Like, I really felt like if you build it up to it's just them two with the great facials and the great body English that they have, that they could really uh, sell it, you know. So I wasn't concerned, and I definitely didn't give a shit about, oh, you guys got shut out. Like, man, shut the fuck up. We know what's going down. So, uh, but I, I was I was, uh, I was, was all for that, you know, they're going down the way they did. You know, just as long as everybody that's a, good, you know. Yeah, that's, that's a memorable thing, too. Like, I remember that match. I don't remember a lot of Survivor Series matches. I've seen – a hundred of them, and I remember mm-hmm. four or five of them, really. Uh, also, you mentioned running the table. I think the Big Show did it by himself once, but it was like a bunch of like mid-card guys at the time. That's that's around the time uh, Big Boss Man was driving his dad's casket around the hood, I believe. Oh, yeah. I Another tidbit from that match, I'd broken my hand uh, two days before that. And if you'll notice, my uh, right hand is heavily taped. And I had a boxer break with a bone. It actually popped up, and we put we had to push it back down. Oh, you, meant, you hand, mentioned that you get a lot of those boxer breaks. What what necessarily is that from? Just punches that connect. Yeah, and two like uh, I got. I mean, I have a real hard swing. You know, I got two plates and fourteen screws in my forearm, so that adds weight to my punch that normally wouldn't be there. You know, somebody else. You know, and being a fast guy, you know, a lot of torque and a lot. I got a lot of power behind my punch, and sometimes you know the bones just say, "Fuck it, all right, man, you need to stop that shit." That's why people wear gloves. Uh, so I mean, a lot of boxers get them. It's not nothing uncommon if you do a lot of punching. You can do it on you can do it on punching bags too if you uh, kind of twist of your wrist if you're not taped properly and stuff like that. So I mean, it, it only happened a couple of times, but once it starts happening, it's a reoccurring thing because you got those little bones, and once they either one of them kind of get out of alignment, it kind of fucks up the whole. It's like the phalanx in uh, 300. You know, if you get one of the shield moves out of place, it fucks up the whole thing. But yeah, if you watch that match back, my right hand's all big. I do when I get tagged in, you know, I'm in the zone, so I'm not thinking about it. I go over there and blast Matt Hardy, and, you know, because they're being in control, so I couldn't sell it to the crowd, but it hurt like shit. Now, you've also, you've agented several gimmick matches uh, or I, I don't know which ones you agented individually, but I know that you, you've worked a lot with the X Division, and Ultimate X is a very prominent match, and I don't, it, it's sort of an offshoot of a ladder match. You're going up and grabbing something. 
what type of unique challenges does does that present? Um, I mean, as I said before, the biggest challenge of those matches is, is to not have too much shit so that you lose, uh, you know, you lose focus on what's going to the main meat of the story. And I really go out of my way in those matches, even when I'm involved in them, but also as an agent, too. I, I try to highlight everybody a little bit. You know, I don't want anybody to be out there in these matches and they just get nothing in. Because I've been in matches where that happened to guys, and I've been in matches with agents where they, there were people in the match that they just didn't give a fuck about. And I, I just always felt like they were missed opportunities. Like, if you're out there, if you're in the ring, there's an opportunity to show somebody something. You know, uh, with the rumble, with the bushwhacker spot, and that's why I went out of my way to try to make there's a very short window to make that moment mean something. You know, if I just walked in there and got thrown out, nobody would have given a fuck, you know. And um, and so that, that's the challenge in those matches, you know, once again, to keep everything focused, but also to highlight everybody and make sure everybody comes out looking like a star. You know, I don't like matches where guys come out looking like shit. TNA also has the King of the Mountain match. I don't know if you've been around since they've done one. You, unique set of rules they have there with the penalty box and all that. Uh, what are your feelings on that type of match? That shit is convoluted as hell. It's convoluted. Uh, I think uh, it could be something done once a year, but I wouldn't do it much more than that. Uh, but the, the last one that they did, TNA, when uh, when Jared, Jeff Jarrett was in it, man, there was a lot of drama in that one, and that one was really good, you know. And once it gets underway, you understand what's going on. It's kind of it's harder to explain it than it is to actually execute it, you know. And it's harder for fans, once fans see it and see what's happening, then they get it. But just as far as to tell somebody the rules, you're like, what the fuck are you saying? You know, the whole penalty box and you got to get pinned to be able to climb the ladder and, and you hang the belt instead of getting it down. You know, that's a, I mean, it's a weird thing. But once people see it, it gets okay. And But also, I mean, those matches always are better when you got like intertwining storylines going on and you got somebody that people cares about like all matches, you know, if you got a personality that the people are really behind, uh, that helps a lot in gimmick matches. A gimmick match that nobody cares about, you know, why are you even doing a gimmick match if you understand? I, I've noticed TNA has laid off the gimmick matches heavily in the last two years. That way, I mean, they mean a lot more when they happen. You don't see, like, a ton of gimmick matches all over it's the great. place. I think no. we do a damn lot of gimmick matches. It seems like, I mean, well, at least on like the one night onlys and stuff, I've noticed that they don't happen as much as they used to. Uh, do and you, you think know, they should lay off? Um, well, it, it depends. If that's what the people want to see, then you kind of have a little bit. But if you do more, you know, this, the traditional semi likes to see wrestling matches. And then when things get heated, then we go to a gimmick match. But you know, I think I think we do a lot of gimmick matches, you know, I know. But like I said, sometimes that if that moves the needle and that's what other people want to see, we have to work around that. But I always like to have a good story to explain the gimmick match. The gimmick for the sake of gimmick doesn't do it for me. Tables matches. Do you like the rule that you have to be put through the table? You can't just be moved out of the way and somebody like runs into it. And have you been in any tables matches? Oh yeah, I've been in several table matches. Um I don't, I don't really care about the rule. I mean, I feel like you should be put through it. You know, if you put yourself through it, I mean, I don't know. If the person goes through a table, they go through a table. If that's the rule, that's how it's written. You know, if it is written, 
that, you know, whoever goes to a table first loses. Well, if you accidentally put yourself through a table, I mean, in a battle royal, if you accidentally, you know, fall over the top rope, you still lose. So if that's the rule, that's the rule. But I think I like the endings better when it's an emphatic, somebody gets put through the table by somebody else. Tag team apocalypto. It's a hell of a gimmick match. Game changer. It is a, a game, game changer. changer right? Yeah. What that would you compare it to? Had you ever been a part of anything like that? It was it was like a wrestling video game set in a Mortal Kombat universe, is what what I would say. You know, uh, which on a tidbit, I suggested a Mortal Kombat versus WWE game to WWE one time, and they didn't bite. It's a good concept. What'd they say? What'd they say? Uh, they don't listen to nobody there. They'll take all the advice in the world from some third-party asshole. The, the the people in the company give them some ideas and they won't use it half the time. I can't. I had the one crazy thing is they they had the same developer as Mortal Kombat at one point. The the WrestleMania, the arcade game, and in your house, it was made the same exact way. I also had a line a layout for a WWE versus a DC or Marvel, where Ooh. some of the WWE guys would get powers at a certain time. It would be like a Mortal Kombat type fighting game but they would all get superpowers when they needed it. Just like our Mortal Kombat, you could get those abilities. But uh, yeah, I, I think fans would buy either one of those. So. WWE All-Stars was a very favorite game. It was a very fun game. It was arcade-ish like that. Yeah, but uh, that's what I would compare a tag team apocalypto to. It's wrestling, a wrestling match set in the uh, Mortal Kombat universe. That's a great analogy. I'm what good are your... <laughs> what? What are your feelings on like Taipei death matches, barbed wire matches, like all these like blood and guts types of matches? I don't want to be in them. <laughs> you know, if that's what the guys want to do, and if there are fans that want to see it, you know, if there's an audience for it, there's an audience for it. You know, I didn't like watching Saw, you know, and people loved Saw. I know the girl I was dating at the time, she loved going to Saw, and I would be looking at her in a the theater like, bitch, like, what is wrong with you? Like, they're just guts, you know. When it, a gore for the sake of gore doesn't impress me, you know. Like, if it, if it adds to the story or something like that, then, you know, I, I'm all for that. But that's like the first episode of Walking Dead this year, man. I like, uh, man, I don't want to see that. I've seen somebody literally murdered, and I felt worse watching The Walking Dead after that shit. I'm like, God damn. You know, um, so those death matches, I kind of feel the same way. It's gore for the sake of gore. I don't think it takes as much talent, uh, but it takes a lot more balls and it takes a lot more toughness. So I don't want to do it. You know, but, you know, I don't want to go home and be mangled, you know, um, if it, you know, and in a wrestling ring, that shit was hard waiting. You know, you had to earn my blood. I'm not about to go out there and do some of that silly shit. Uh, you know, as far as thumbtacks and stuff like that in matches, you know, it, okay, not too bad, but going through the glass and the ring exploding and the barbed wires to go in there, with the idea that I'm going to just shred my body apart. That's not for me. I'm not saying don't do it. If there's an audience for it, do what you want to do. And everybody's a grown man. I ain't never seen anybody forced into one of these matches. So, you know, that's up for them to decide. Do you think that Negan in The Walking Dead has a barbed wire baseball bat if it's never happened in pro wrestling before that? I don't know, man. I mean, that shit looks familiar. All I'm saying is it looks familiar. Yeah. Wonder if he would have ever seen see Janice if he would have had one of those. We got to do Lucille versus Janice. It's got to yeah. have. That can only happen oh, yeah. in tag that, team that's, apocalypto. That's the beauty of tag team apocalypto. Is it Janice actually got to be used? 
Janice worked. That might be Janice's first victory. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, and I was explaining that to my wife, and I was like, that's that's monumental. That thing's been around for years, and usually it just gets stuck in a turnbuckle pad. Not this time. The beauty of that storyline, which, by the way, the deletion storyline won Angle of the Year in our, our voting, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, blew, blew everything out of the water. It got like 50% of the vote. It should. It should. That was uh, phenomenal. Um, lumberjack matches. How much are you told going in? Like, you got to do this. You got to beat the shit out of certain guys. Well, a lot of that just kind of happens. You know, a lot of that just kind of happens. So, uh, and two, uh, when it's on TV, all the lumberjacks are clamoring for TV time. So they're trying to get the shit in on TV. So they're all rushing over to the TV side, you know, opposite hard cam so they can be seen. Um, so that's a funny thing. If you'll notice with the lumberjacks, they're all trying to get a lick in, not necessarily to hurt the guy, but just to get that little TV moment. But, um, it's, it's a good match for ribs to happen too. You know, if there's somebody down there, you could be like kicking the shit out of him, you know, for somebody you like, you might take care of him, but it's a, that's one of those matches where a lot of little ribs happen. Those that, and just regular battle royals. Cause all the time somebody fucking with you in a battle royal too. A lot of potatoes thrown in the, the Lumberjack matches, it seems like, because they always break down. They always break down. Yeah, yeah. Lumberjack matches never go the way as you plan, you know, not on paper. Um, but, yeah, a lot of potatoes, you know, especially when you're that guy on the floor and they're kicking the shit out of you. And, two, even more so if there's one of those Lumberjack strap matches and you have a guy out there like, you know, a Kurt Henning or a Rick Steiner, some of those guys that like to – just lay it in to be funny, and they'll be ripping the shit out of you. you know, luckily, I was never on the end of any of that. I never fan of that a strap match. I don't know if you were going to mention them coming up, but the hell with those. Yeah, I have uh, actually strap matches is second to next. We have like three or four left, but strap matches. Now I grew up in the '90s, so the first strap match I really like remember is the Caribbean strap match: Savio Vega and Steve Austin, and. <laughs> That was the first one I remembered. But versions of that had went on forever. I would later find out about, like, the dog collar match. And, mm -hmm. of course, the Rock and Triple H had a strap match. What did you think, think about I've those? Heard... Had you ever been in one? No, I've never been in one and have no desire to ever be in one. Um, <laughs> we just had one on TNA not too long ago, the uh, the Tribunal against Al Snow and Shearer. And uh, – not the greatest match of all time, but you know Al kind of put it. Al put a lot into it toward the end and got the crowd with it some at least by taking them damn strap shots and then delivered them when it came time to deliver them. Now, I, I don't want to be in one of those, man. I don't, that that shit hurts. The first one I ever remember seeing Wahoo McDaniel used to do a lot of them uh, back in the Mid Atlantic area, and then like Dog Call as you as you first. So I mean, the first one of those. I wasn't the infamous Roddy Piper uh, one. There was Barry Windham, uh, and the Junkyard Dog used to be in those dog collar matches quite a bit, so I've seen them before. But the Roddy Piper, Greg Valentine, and Starcade 83 was probably the most famous of those dog collar matches. But, yeah, uh, it seems like I've been, in a, I've been in a chain match on the Indies, and I remember accidentally getting whacked in the head with the chain. Like somebody was swinging it, and it hit me in the damn head and, you know, gigged me open a little bit. So, um, oh. Yeah, I'm not – they don't gimmick those chains either. They're fucking real steel dog collar chains. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of that shit. I'm not a fan of anything that makes blood leave my body. I like my blood on the inside, and that's just me. Call me crazy. We also, we also have, like, these container-based matches, like Buried Alive and casket matches and ambulance matches and stretcher matches. 
where you got to put your opponent in something. What do you think about those? It's it's a concept uh, I mean, that you basically add a little gimmick to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are still basically street fights, and then you just dump the guy in some shit instead of a one, two, three. Uh, they can be done good. I've seen them, you know, kind of flat. Ambulance one is always pretty cool, especially when you have to. You see the ambulance pulling out, and he's done. Uh, the casket match, you know, generally that's a taker thing, and taker can pretty much, you know, uh, make chicken salad out of anything. So those are generally always good anyway. Uh, and I've, I don't think I've ever seen a buried alive by anybody else other than uh, Taker. Is there a wind going on? Do you hear that? I hear it, but I mean, it's not that bad. I now the greatest hotel. This microphone. The greatest. The greatest gimmick match of all time. The hog pin match. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. No. Thank you. That would that would be a no thank you because they know did you ever they notice, put in that shit. Did you ever notice the scar on Triple H's back that he got from that match? No. Uh, Kevin Nash was telling a story about how when he came back and wrestled Triple H in like 2011, he said that he was like what he was selling and he was looking at Triple H and he noticed a scar like from like 16, 17 years before that that I guess he got. And, uh, like, there was legitimately pig shit that he was rolling around in with that cut. Ugh. So Ugh. Got the only, I would imagine. Was real the only, shit? Yeah, I think so. There were real pigs in there. Like, yeah, I guess you might be right. Doesn't seem like that's fucking was, safe. Was there an E. coli they, test? They, shoot pigs, as you would say in the business, I guess. They were not working. Why would you pigs. want to shoot pigs? Well, I mean, people do. Pigs are terrifying. Have you ever seen pigs in the wild? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're boring. They're, they're, <laughs> oh, fuck. Wow. Beat the clock match. You were in one of these with Booker T. I think I've been in a couple of those. Yeah. They're okay. It just depends on how much time you got. But, too, like the whole going for a pin as much as you can sometimes kind of – that kind of disrupts the normal psychology you want to have in a match. Um. But it's a gimmick. That one's neither here nor there. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. You know, I'm indifferent, which is the worst thing to be, so I guess I don't like it. How were the raw roulette wheels done? Did you have to do, like, a billion takes until you got one right? No, I think they uh, did, though. I, don't, I think – what the fuck was that? I wasn't in a lot of one. I was in one we had to do with Chase a Midget. That was the gimmick. It was Capture the Midget. I know you're not supposed to say midget anymore, but I'm just reiterating or, you know, that's what was said. That's what it was. Um, that I think that was gimmick. Yeah, I think it was. Because there well, was I mean, a midget mysteriously there, so it, it had to be. He didn't just I was sure to show was, up at that time. Yeah, I was sure it was gimmicked, but, I mean, I didn't know if they just did, like, a billion takes till they got the, the, the result they wanted or, or what happened yeah, I'm there. Sure, I'm sure there was some gimmick. I can't remember even thinking about it, but it stopped right on that capture the midget thing every time, so there had to be a way to set it. You mentioned tag team matches are your favorite kind. What are your favorite kind of gimmick matches to watch and then to perform in? My favorite one to watch by far is the, the Rumble, the uh, Royal Rumble. That's my favorite one to watch by far. You know, I'm a big fan of entrances, and I think that's one of the things that I think pro wrestling fans love a good entrance. And you get, you know, 30 entrances in this one match. So, And a good, a good entrance and good entrance music, man, can kind of keep things going. Um, 
there's some there's certain talents that are over just because of that song. That song hits and you want to jam to the song. And then once once they get in the ring, you're kind of like, eh, whatever, you know. But <laughs> like music's good, you can jam to it, you know, and that kind of keep keeps you in a good mood, you know. Uh, so I always I actually won an argument with the agents in a talent meeting in WWE one time about that because some of the old school agents were it was like uh, if a heel's in the ring and a babyface makes an entrance and he goes up with his back to the heel, why wouldn't the heel go just attack him? And I, I was just like, you know, I just spoke up and I was like, you know, I really disagree, you know, because uh, they were saying that wasn't realistic to turn your back on a heel. And I'm like, actually it is because if boxing and MMA, you never see somebody just fighting before the fucking belt. You know, it's not like you yeah. watch an NBA game and while one team's coming out, the other team's up there scoring layups, you know, it is realistic. And I was like, and, you know, and I, I use Triple H as an example here. So if, if I'm a fan, I want to see Triple H, the Undertaker's entrance. I want to see Rockstone Cold. I say entrance is a big part of the pageant. And I actually won the argument. And it's hard to win an argument with those agents, especially in talent meetings, because you don't want to make the agents look bad. But I was like, man, no, you got that. Uh, entrances are good. So anyway, that's why, long story short, that's why the Rumble's my favorite. Have you ever pitched any gimmick matches that didn't come to be, like any ideas of matches? And have you ever had any ideas of gimmick matches that just never developed? Um, no, no. You know, that was never really something I, I thought a lot about. You know, uh, I mean, I'm sure that's something uh, in the coming months that, that, that will, you know, I'll have to do. <laughs> but, um, but no, it was nothing. Uh, you know, like I say, I'm a, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to the wrestling. So uh, uh, that was never something I, I thought too much about. And nine times out of ten, when I was in a giving match, I was always just like, why can't we just do a regular wrestling match? You know, I mean, the strength of that Hurricane character, you know, it's easy to fall back on that. I was like, you know, I don't need a giving match with Hurricane. I am a fucking gimmick. Every match I'm in is a giving match. You know. <laughs> now. Before we wrap up, I don't know you, if that's were, a compliment or not. you were in the, the ending days of WCW, and uh, sorry, Vince, there were some pretty terrible fucking gimmick matches around then. Were there any gimmick matches that you had heard of that got pitched and didn't make it to air? Because if that's the shit that made air, I can't imagine what didn't. No, I mean, not, not that I can't recall, you know. Uh... But yeah, there were a lot of really bad gimmick matches there, really silly stipulations with a lot of stuff. But, you know, I mean, that's what made Vince Vance. He would try a lot of shit, and uh, a lot of shit worked, and a lot of shit didn't. So, um, but the ones that didn't were real fucking stinkers, you know, but the ones that did were really good. So, uh, you know, you got to give him credit. But also, there's that other, you know, Judy Bagwell on a pole match joke that everybody was- talks about. I was about to mention that. So, had you and Buff Bagwell fought backstage and Judy Bagwell was right next to you all on a forklift, would that have made you perform better or worse? I would have thrown a towel on that one. I would have tapped out. But, but the way, but what actually happened is I would have had to take Judy home and damn, that would have been even worse. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, now before we go, obviously, some some changes in TNA. They sent me a press release. Anthem did. I know you're, you're not. Sent it to you personally? They did. Anthem's you're on the, on the good list. I like it. Anthem's I like it to me, sad. yeah. Um, no, I, know, I know you can't discuss a whole lot, but, I mean, I, I showed you the press release, and this was about the time a lot of TNA talents were landing, like a lot of them. Yeah. So what's your reaction to hearing this news? Dixie Carter, uh, she's resigned as chairman. 
Uh, Anthem has started a new parent company, and Dixie's going to serve on a board of, of advisors and is still a minority owner. Um, that's what we're going with. So, I mean, uh, I've kind of heard about this uh, for, for a little bit now, something I had to sit on. It wasn't my announcement to make, you know, and I wouldn't disrespect my company or, you know, break the trust of my company or peers by, you know, letting the information out that shouldn't be let out at the time. So, um, you know, I, for all the for all the negative crap that Dixie takes, you know, the truth is that TNA might not even probably would not even exist if it wasn't for Dixie Carter and her family. So, um, you know, so I mean, that is what it is. And that's just me being completely honest, because, you know, like I just did with Russo, I'll tell you the good, but I'll tell you the bad, too. Yes, there was a lot of silly shit that happened. But at the same time, would this company exist without Dixie Carter? That's a no. And I know I said earlier, probably no. I think that's a hard no, that it would not exist without Dixie Carter. And um, I mean, TNA's been around longer than WCW was. You know, there's a lot of people that still try to, you know, hate on what TNA, uh, some of the decisions they made. But, you know, um, but now we got new ownership, so we got to leave that shit in the past. You know, uh, I don't have anything, any problem with Dixie Carter. I never had. You know, she never said one cross word to me. She was always nice. And as far as my dealings with Shane Helms, everything was spot on. You know, I got paid on time. Everything was beautiful. So um, I'm kind of indifferent to the thing. You know, I just want this company to move ahead. I think from a public perception, um, this is good for the company because there were a lot of people that they just complained about Dixie Carter all the time. But now you ain't got that to worry about no more. Now you ain't got to focus on that. Focus on the product. Focus on what we're actually doing instead of worrying about all this backstage shenanigans, bullshit. You know, so that's the positive I'm looking forward to. Let's focus on what we do. do. Do you know how happy I was that we still had half of the show to record when that news dropped? I, I, yeah, I'm <laughs> sure you were. I can't wait to get his ass. <laughs> so it's confirmed you're going to Skype in a podcast during the next creative meeting, talent meeting, right? Yeah, well, let's not get crazy, kid. Let's not get crazy. <laughs> also, quickly before we go. Two-man power trip of wrestling podcast, great podcast, did an interview with Stevie Richards where he said that he and Raven almost came in for uh, Apocalypto, but Raven kind of didn't want to do it. Also said that he would have had your ass because he would have been able to jump into the lake of reincarnation many more times than you. Could be true. He's, he's had quite a few He's had quite a few incarnations, but they just weren't as successful. Oh. Stevie, I hope you're dancing, this, Stevie. And you know what this means right here. Stevie legit shoot was one of my favorite opponents in all my WWE career. Although we did almost knock each other out one time, about 30 seconds into a match. Broken neck Stevie versus broken neck Helms, who wins the fight? Uh, <laughs> the medical industry. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus the surgeon, Christ. <laughs> whoever performed the, the surgeries on us. Shane, you have an insane schedule over, what, the next week or so? Yeah, for the next uh, uh, nine days, eight or nine days, I think. It'll be, for me, about 12, 13 hours a day. Yeah. TNA, and that's not TNA has a, Yeah, TNA has a pay-per-view Friday night. This will release Friday afternoon. Check that out. Fightful.com, of course. We'll have live coverage, coverage of that. Uh, Impact every week. Shane, tell these sons of beaches where they can follow you. At ShaneHelms.com. That's on Twitter. Follow us. That's on Instagram. That's on Tumblr. That's on Facebook. I'm easy to Don't find. You know, Tumblr. I actually reply to people. Huh? 
What'd you say? Don't go to his. Don't go to his Tumblr. No, yeah, don't go to my Tumblr in public because the porn bots got me. The porn bots got me big. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they. And there's one thing when they follow you, somehow they made me follow a bunch. And so I started unfollowing a lot of them. But I'm like, damn, how many are there? And so, because mine's a bunch of science stuff, it's a bunch of comic book stuff, and a bunch of you know um, some politics, and they're just regular artsy. Uh, archaeological stuff, you know, and, and there's a couple that have the really bad jokes, you know, the jokes you send your friends, but you don't, you know, send them public, which I, I, but me, I send every damn body. Um, and I think it came from that. Next thing you know, it's just tits and ass everywhere. I'm like, damn. And it always pops up when my Karen walks by. It could be, oh, it'll no. be 19 comic book pictures and wrestling pictures. And then the second my woman walks by, here comes the ass. And I'm like, baby, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm innocent. I'm an innocent man. And she, she doesn't look like one to mess with, Shane. Nah, nah. She's, yeah, yeah. I got me. I got me a Wonder Woman. So, yes, yes, honey. Yes, I'll turn this right off. I'll turn this right off. <laughs> Guys, uh, send in topics. Whatever you want us to talk about, we'll pick the best ones because we don't trust you all. We don't trust you all yet. Uh, eventually, we will. <laughs> Follow us at Fightful online, Twitter, and Facebook. Follow me at Sean Ross Sapp. Till next time, guys, we're out. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.